Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello, and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Andy Robin. Andy received his MBA from Harvard University and had a long, fruitful business career, including growing his dad's computer company in the 70s, held a CEO position of a successful tech startup for six years, was vice president of marketing for a $600 million company, and served on the board of a New York City hedge fund. Andy's book, Tapas Life is not your typical retirement book. It's a step-by-step process to leading an interesting, rich, and fulfilling life after a long career. Welcome, Andy. How are you today? Doing great, Terry. Thanks for including me here. You're welcome. I'm happy to hear you because the name of that book is just so interesting. So explain the name and how it relates to retirement. Okay, so Tapas, T-A-P-A-S, if you're not familiar is the food that they eat a lot in Spain. And it literally means covers. And what it is, is it's lots of little dishes that eventually sort of cover the table you're eating at instead of the uh, American large porterhouse steak and uh, baked potato. So the idea is that you get to savor a variety of things. And if there's one of the little dishes that you don't like, you let it go. And if there's a dish you did like, you order another round of it. There you go. And I was in I was in Barcelona, Spain in 2018. So we went and had tapas. We did. You go into a tapas bar, you kind of go down and you pick the little sandwiches you like and you sit down. Then you bring your drink over. I mean, it was great. And and not knowing the country's foods that well, it was a great way for us to kind of sample a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I loved it. So now you're saying we should do that in retirement. That's exactly right. I mean, now there's an opportunity to sample a lot of stuff for which there was no room during one's long career and maybe during one's long career and raising a family. Absolutely. That didn't leave any room for mistakes. So we tended not to take the chance. But now we're retired. We can. We can try all kinds of things. So it really is an exciting time. Yep. Absolutely. So you call yourself a life coach and you're also known as the retirement revolutionist. I love that title. That's great. So how do you help boomers live the tapas life? Like, what do you do that would help us get into that? Okay. It's, it's really kind of a step-by-step process and that's how the book is assembled. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first thing in case folks haven't realized it is, is this kind of the first time in human history when after one's, uh, you know, if you'd like very productive working life, one isn't going to be dead in a few years. One's going to be around another 20, 30 years. And so there's a need to assemble a new life. And after that, I note that, wow, during your working life, you had a lot of structure. And, you know, one day when you left your working life, you may have no structure and you need to add some structure. 
where you become a little bit untethered and adrift and it gets depressing pretty quickly. So yeah, you may spend some months or a year, a year and a half decompressing, traveling a bunch, playing some golf, tennis, bridge, seeing friends, going and visiting family you haven't seen in a while. You may do lots of that. And then one day you'll start to feel untethered and adrift because there's nothing doing. And then you need to add some structure. Absolutely. I've heard that from so many boomers that they thought, oh, this is great. I can do whatever I want. And but it gets real boring after a year, year and a half. Like that seems to be the timeline. Year to a year and a half, it's great. It's wonderful. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm bored to death. I can't stand it. Now what do I do? Because we could have 20 or 25 or 30 years left. You're right. We're the first generation that is going to have that much time in the retirement. So we do need to figure out what we want to do. You're right. Yep. And, you know, a little structure, it's not complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people like more, some people like less, but, you know, maybe have breakfast, read some email in the morning, catch up on the news, maybe do exercise a couple of times a week, go for a walk a few times a week. Maybe you organize a lunch with a friend a couple of times a week, you know, take out the garbage once a week, do the laundry sometimes, little things like that. In my case, I love having a glass of wine after dinner, maybe around seven o'clock. And these are things that add some structure and predictability to life so that it doesn't just feel like an empty calendar, what I I call in my book, a white rabbit in a snowstorm. (laughs) It's just blank. Just blank. I love that saying, white rabbit in a snowstorm. That gives you the total picture. It does. (laughs) Uh, And then after that, you know, I suggest that you you catch up. Uh, There's usually lots of stuff that's been uh, withering on the vine. And there's a first things first category to it. So if you don't have a will, if you don't have a durable power of attorney for health care, for goodness sake, or even better yet, for the sake of the loved ones around you, get one in place. And if you're a person of means, get a trust document in place. And, you know, just get it done. It will cost you some money. And what you'll do is be saving a ton of headache and heartache for your closest loved ones. Absolutely. I think we chatted about this before that when my aunt died at age 80, we had gotten together with her like a year or two before that and got all the documents in line, got her will done, got everything done so that when she had the stroke and was taken to the hospital, we knew exactly what to do. She had a do not resuscitate order ready to go. So the nurses were like, wow, we've never had such an organized family come in here before. They were in awe, but it was ready to go. And then then when you're in the middle of all this anxiety, she had a stroke, you think you're going to lose her, you're not sure, you don't have to make those decisions. It's awful. It's awful to have to do them on the fly. So you're right. That is so important to get done upfront ahead of time. Good on you for doing that, Terry. And, and you know, Listeners out there, don't wait till you're 79. Do it today. No, do it today, especially with COVID. None of (laughs) us know what's going to happen. We hope we're all going to be fine, but the paperwork's got to be done and then it will last forever. It might need to be updated a little bit, but most of it will be fine. So yeah, do it today rather than tomorrow. Yeah. And then the other 
thing and first things first is, you know, understand your finances and do that planning. And I won't expound on that because the vast majority of retirement books are about that. So grab anything. I mean, the really basic element is uh, make two columns on a piece of paper or in Excel and, you know, put your expenses on one side and put your income on the other and and the uh, income better be enough to cover the expenses or you need to work on it. Yep. Or you're in trouble. Yep. Absolutely. Got to find a way around that. Either sell the bigger house or, you know, downsize. Yeah. You've got to figure that out because the longer you're in that area where your expenses are higher than your income, it's just going to add up and create a huge problem down the road. So grim, grim. Don't do that. No, don't so, do that, please. <laughs> and then after that, you catch up on other things. You know, there may be a lot of relationships that you've allowed to get a little weaker than you'd like. There may be some uh, cousins or something who you once enjoyed a nice relationship with and somehow disappeared off your radar screen. You can renew those things or some old friends. You can intermingle that with some travels if there are other places. You can get caught up on the household. You know, you're, maybe you're one of the typical folks in our country who have a two-car garage that hasn't seen a car in decades. That's so true. There's a lot of them out there. <laughs> and uh, what you can do is you can take all that stuff that you haven't looked at in decades, and you can give it away to people who actually need it and can make use of it. And you can feel the load lighten, and you can prune closets Get rid of clothes you haven't worn in forever, but that will do somebody needy some good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lighten your load and do someone else some good. And when you've done that, wow, life feels so much better. And then for extra credit, <laughs> start asking your kids, what do they really want around the house? And earmark those things for them. And you know, if two people want the same thing, then get them to work it out. And then once you know that, there's probably a mountain of old stuff that you can give away around the house and simplify, especially true if you're choosing to downsize when, when you've got to do that. Right. You have to. Yep. Yep. But think of it this way. If you do that today, look at the load you'll be taking off your kids when eventually we all will die. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. I've already been asking my kids what they want because I will be downsizing in the next year or two. So a lot of what I have can't go with me. And guess what? They don't want anything hardly. They want my some of my good surprise because it's from Germany. <laughs> There's a tea set from from Japan. They want yep. that's about it. They don't want anything. So now I know I've got to get rid of it. So just, I got to start doing it. Just get rid of it. And, you know, I think in our mind, we think our kids want stuff. They don't want anything anymore. They don't. So yeah, exactly right. Better to find that out early enough so that you can start. If someone comes into your house and admires something, say you want it, it's yours. Take it. Yeah. <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> start getting rid of stuff. <laughs> and then once you're a little caught up, then, then you can you know, add something you love, mm -hmm. something you've always wanted to do, haven't had time for, maybe you loved it in your youth. Maybe it's something you saw some friend do or some relative do along the way. And you thought, well, that's cool. Or you saw some 
something on TV or, or video or movie about it or read about it in a book, you were like, boy, I really want to try that. And now you've finally got time. And now the important thing to do is to not talk yourself out of it. Ah, true. True. Right? It's really easy to say, ah, well, I don't know. I don't know how to get started on that. Or if you figure out how to get started on it, you can tell yourself, ah, be no good at that. Right. Or I'm too old, which is that never too old. Don't even say that. Don't even think that. But some people do think that way, but you're never too old. Never too old. So this this goes with the concept of fail freely. You know, your whole life, you've really had to work hard to succeed at everything, Mm -hmm. whether it was learning to crawl or getting through school or getting through the workplace and advancing and getting more money and so on, succeed at raising a family if you did. And now at this age, you've done all that. So you've proven your competency. You don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) And now you can try stuff and fail miserably. And there's no cost. Instead, you get to mine it for learning. You can say, oh, when I think back on what had me decide to try this, right? here's what was attractive about it. Mm-hmm. But when I tried it, I learned that I didn't like this and that about it. Or I learned that weightlifting wasn't for me after all because I weighed 92 pounds. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, but you, you learned something that didn't work for you. Right. And you learned something about the reason you were attracted to it. And now you can apply that knowledge to what might I try next? And if you try something and don't like it, mine it for learning and let it go. And if you try something and do like it, do some more of it. And when you let go of a tapa you didn't like after all or didn't work for you, it's not quitting. It was like a lab experiment. You learn something, and then that informed your forward progress. And then you can keep adding tapas like that one at a time until you're thinking, wow, this is, this is a pretty nice meal. I, I think uh, I've got what I want. Or you may decide, wow, I suddenly have too much to do. And then you can uh, do Nike in reverse. You can just undo it. You can just take some tapa that's uh, the most marginal one or the easiest one to let go of and just take it off your table and maybe set it over on the counter and leave it there for another time. Such good advice. Such good advice. Because then you get to like, maybe you've always wanted to uh, write poems or write songs and you want to learn to play the guitar too. So you could do those two at the same time. Monday's guitar day, maybe Tuesday's poem day. Like that all fits in with the tapas theme. Try a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's so easy to do. And then it keeps your days more structured and it gives you a reason to get up in the morning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, once you've assembled that nice life, you may notice that it feels pretty good, but there's still something missing. At least that's what happened to me after about four years of assembling my life. By the way, I wrote this book because it took me four years to figure this all out with no guidance. (laughs) It's hard without the guidance. When you have guidance, it goes so much faster. 
So this is a great book for guidance, right? <laughs> yes, it's a step-by-step, which I learned the really hard way, you know. I was like in the uh, room with the lights off, knocking around off all the furniture and the walls, trying to find my way. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of money putting this book together and promoting it. If I make back a tenth of what I've spent, it will be a miracle. But I wrote the book to try to be helpful to someone else because that feels meaningful to me. And that's what you may find after you've assembled a fun, enjoyable life that's interesting and feels good. You may find you need something meaningful. For me, that's when I found life coaching. And I you know, went and did 300 hours of training at a professional coaching school. And now I've been doing coaching for 10 years. And I limit my practice to five clients because it's a tapa. I don't want a new 60-hour-a-week career. I've been there and done that. Right. Exactly. None of us do. So, But you need some meaning. And so five clients is plenty. Yes, plenty. Writing the book has been a joy. And I now sometimes hear from people who have read it, how much they've enjoyed it and how they're using it. And that feels good and meaningful to me. For others, it may be that you want to volunteer for an organization and give of yourself for the benefit of others. Because most meaningful activities are about selflessly being helpful to someone else. Absolutely. And we didn't always have time for that when we were young, but we have time for that now. So we really need to find a way to be of service to others. And it can be like you say, volunteer work, writing a book, writing a course that can help, whatever. There's ways to help your fellow boomers and society as a whole. And it's very important. Quite so. And, and, you know, think about it. We're this huge generation. And if we're all doing that, We get to be improving the world, you know, we get to be, you know, leaving a nice mark, paying it forward, if you like. Mm -hmm. And we absolutely need more of that in the world right now. We do. And the alternative is that we sit on the couch and we don't share any of our knowledge with the rest of the world. And then it just goes to waste. That just is, to me, so wasteful. And it's easier for us to do than it has been for any other generation. We can work from home like we're doing now. We're on a computer. We're on a Zoom call. You can write your book from home. You can coach people from home on a Zoom call. You can do podcasts. Like It has been so much easier than it's ever been before. So there's kind of no excuse not to find something you love. True. And and yet it's also an opportunity for a twofer. You know, if if you're in a position to get out and volunteer for an organization in person, maybe your church or synagogue or mosque, or maybe or a temple, uh, maybe a hunger and homelessness program, maybe a soup kitchen, maybe somebody who helps. Uh, second grader to read better as my daughter did when she was in her 20s. If you can do any of those things in person, maybe you live in a place where everybody's vaccinated or maybe you've already gotten a booster shot. Uh, Maybe you double mask or maybe COVID has finally dwindled enough. 
when you can get out and do it in person, that social connection is solid gold. Absolutely. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. That's an, another crucial element of this time of life. Many people had a lot of social connection in their work, and now they find themselves without that. And so, you know, if you had people you really enjoyed at work, you can still have a relationship with them, see them from time to time. But I have found that as you have less and less in common, it dwindles. It dwindles. It really does. I've heard that from many people. It dwindles. So you need a new social outlet. And another good thing for people our age is to have friends and people we are social with of all different ages. Because as we get older, 85, 90, if you only have people that are your age and they start dying off, now you have nobody. You have nobody. You need to have all age groups. Well, and it's really energizing to, you know, energizing. to be yeah. with young people and to get get to relive their stage of life vicariously. And, and you know, without proselytizing and uh, showing how smart you are, uh, you know, s- sometimes the younger folks actually will enjoy hearing an anecdote about you th- at that age or may even ask you for your thoughts on something. They may. Absolutely. And they might give you an idea and you thought, well, I never thought of that before. That's something I can add to my podcast or I can put a chapter in my book or, you know, they've got some great ideas too. So if you're interacting, magic happens, I think. Pretty nice. Pretty nice. In fact, my coaching practice is pretty much 30 somethings. Oh, nice. And I love that because they're more willing to try things mm-hmm. and see that it works and keep moving themselves forward. And I found that when I was coaching people who were 50-somethings, I more often got the, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure that'll work. And, <laughs> and uh, that was a little harder. It's important for all age groups to mingle together and talk and converse. And it really is because we can feed off one another and give each other ideas. It's really important. And, you know, speaking of uh, social connection and uh, conversing, yeah, the really critical thing at this point is you've just left your work or you've been off your work for a year or two. And boy, if you're married, you really need to reconnect with your spouse. That is true. The, the relationship you had when you were raising a family, if you did, and the relationship you had when you were working, those don't really exist anymore. And you need to reinvent a new one. And, you know, that consists in finding out, well, what do we both still like to do? What do we still have in common? What do we still like about each other? What are we willing to tolerate about each other? (laughs) How would we like to spend our time? How much of it together and how much of it uh, independent of each other? And let's start to formulate what that life looks like. In my book, I have a list of questions you might want to have with your spouse and some conversations to have that can be illuminating. And it doesn't happen in 10 minutes. It happens over a period of months as you continue to have the conversations, many of them over and over, as you see what it feels like. It's kind of like moving to a new city and renting for six months or a year while you learn your way around in the lay of the land. 
Right. <laughs> before you splash out on a house or a condo, it's a little bit of a try-by. So you, you know, have some conversations, work at it a little bit, see what's working, what isn't, have some more conversations. And eventually your life together emerges. Or you just get divorced. Right. Whichever works out. I mean, it's because a lot of couples do get divorced after 25 years of marriage and it might be coinciding with the kids leaving the house. And now it's the two of you and you don't even know who either of you are anymore because you've changed so much. So, yeah, you're right. You do have to reevaluate. Yep. And in fact, I point uh, readers of the book to other places they can go that really go deep on that. If you really want to do it right, because. You can actually collaborate with each other. I, I talk about in the last portion of the book, last big chunk of the book, about how in your whole life, it's been about doing. And now you're at a stage of life where you can focus a little bit more on being, on how you are as a human. And in the army terms, it's on being all you can be. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so you as a human can develop more elements of yourself. You can become more generous and more giving. You can learn to be more forgiving of yourself and others. You may be carrying around baggage from your youth, from having to survive in your family environment growing up. Kids are really capable at figuring out how to survive, but they often create uh, survival mechanisms that they've been dragging around for 40 years that really are no longer serving them worth a damn. Right. Absolutely. And you can uh, investigate yourself a little bit and do the work to start letting go of some of those. Mm. Not so easy, but really worthwhile. And when you do it, those around you are like, wow, what a difference. What happened to you, Terry? I like the new Terry. And it, it's great growth. And uh, you can work on what Abraham Maslow called in his research and books, self-actualization. You know, really being your best self. And it's a time of life when you have potentially decades to work at that. And when you're a better person, everybody around you sees you as a role model. So you're actually helping everybody around you and you're showing up better in the world. And so you're helping the world be better. And if we as a generation do more of that, again, we're back to making the world a better place. You know, I'm Jewish and in the heart of Judaism is a concept called tikkun olam which means repairing the world. And there's a, there's a notion that goes with it that, well, that's a big task and we certainly can't finish it, but neither can we refrain from giving it our best shot. And so, you know, it also goes with the think globally, act locally. Do what you can, right? And by making yourself a better person, by being a better person, you're really helping everything and everyone around you. And so it's a time of life to do that when maybe you were too busy or too stressed or hadn't really contemplated it. 
Absolutely. I think this is the time of life for that. It really is reflecting on what you've done, you know, how you want to change, how you want to become better. You have time to maybe do some more meditating, going within and finding your best self. So it really is the best time of our life now. So for the next 20, 30 years, well, at least the next 20, this will be the best time of my life ever. And maybe the next 30, who knows if I stay healthy, I'll be great. So for 30 years, but we all have a big, long stretch ahead of us. And we need to reflect on who we are. And, And I think baby boomers like to look back at our ancestors at this point. Like when I was younger, I didn't want to think about that, but now I do. So you look at your parents and your grandparents and what did I learn from them? And what did they give to me? And then what do I want to pass on to my children? So it is a big age of reflection. Absolutely. It is. And, and you know, here's another twofer. While you're being your best self, you may do what I chose to do. When my father died, I managed to do something that got me crosswise with his younger brother, my uncle. I had always really enjoyed my uncle. And we managed to not speak to each other for 20 years terrible. 20 years lost. And then one day I took ownership. I decided maybe he was at fault. Maybe I was at fault, but I'm going to be a big enough person to contact him to apologize for anything and everything I did wrong, to tell him that I really always enjoyed our relationship and that my intent was to see if we could rebuild and have that relationship anew. And then after that, he he actually just passed away a few months ago, but we got another 20 years together. Wow, another 20. Well, that's great. That At least you didn't let that second 20 go by before making up. That's 20 years. That's valuable time. And so that was super meaningful. Mm-hmm. It was me being a better part of me, of my better self. And it was social connection. It was a threefer. It was. (laughs) And so, you know, these are things we have an opportunity to do at this stage of life. Absolutely. And we can also explore ourselves and make a combination of doing and being. So it turns out that many have been lucky enough to find their flow activity. There's a fellow named, he's got a difficult name, Cheeks and Cheeks and Mihai. Oh my, that is difficult. <laughs> he says to pronounce it Cheeks sent me high. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Made it a little easier for yeah. me. Yeah. And uh, he wrote a book called Flow. And in that book, he says, you know, you may have discovered something you do that when you're doing it, it's not necessarily easy. It's not necessarily fun, but it really engages you such that when you look up three hours later, you can't believe what time it is because it feels like it's been maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And that's a person's flow activity. That's something that uses a lot of your capability as a human a lot of your given gifts that you have that many others don't, and you use it in a way that it feels very fulfilling. So this, again, is 
mining yourself for what makes you feel fuller and then doing it. So it's a twofer of being and doing. And it's super fulfilling. Absolutely is. Absolutely. Yep. For me, that's the piano. Ah, the piano. After my long career, uh, and after I spent some years assembling my tapas life, when I finally got to do something you love, I had always dabbled at the piano, but I was self-taught. I was lousy at it. It would take me three months to learn a half page of sheet music, and then I was lousy at it. Oh, wow. But I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. as frustrating as it was. And I decided to take, start taking piano lessons. There you go. Right. At the time I was 52 and I've now been doing that for 17 years. Now I'm pretty good at it. Wow. That's great. And along the way, as I got better at it, it became my flow activity. And now I sit at the piano for an hour and a half or two hours a day. And some of it's just pleasure. And some of it's pretty hard work. I knew that's difficult, but it's real flow when I'm done at the piano. And some days I get carried away. I'm sitting there for three or four hours and can't believe I did. I was. See that? Wow. And But it always feels really fast. Time flies when I'm doing that. And it really talks to a, it connects, I connect with a deep emotional part of myself. Right. I'm a pretty logical guy, and I'm mostly caught up in my left brain. But when I'm at the piano, I'm in my right brain. It's all emotion. And the music and my work at the piano and my enjoyment at the piano go directly into my right brain and it and into an emotional part of me that I rarely connect with otherwise. Maybe when I'm looking at a sunset or hear, hearing some beautiful piece of music, or, you know, in a loving moment with a family member. But every time I sit down at the piano, it happens. And your listeners can discover that part of them. And it usually grows out of some topic that they got started on. And then it grabbed them by the nose and pulled them in deep. Right. It's that heart connection. Whatever it is that you're doing, it's the heart connection. And some people do it by writing books, writing poems, playing music. You know, some people, uh, there's so many musicians out there that had other careers. And now that they're retired, they can really get into their music a whole lot more. So for a lot of people, it's music, guitars, pianos, whatever. So, but I think when you do that, you make the heart connection. That's always an excellent connection, always. It's a beautiful thing and, and it fills you up and that gives you more you that you can enjoy with others. Absolutely. And that helps keep you young as well. It really does. You know, it totally does. A quick anecdote. My wife does leadership development stuff and uh, she, in her travels, came across a founder, CEO who's in his 30s. And uh, we had... This fellow and his fiance, who's an anesthesiologist, come over the other night for dinner, drinks and dinner. And we had such a good time, you know, back to being with younger folks and how energizing it is. And one of my tapas is wine collecting and being a, a cook. And so I got to exercise those. And we had a great time, just the four of us. And it turns out that 
in our downsize move from a house to a condo, I came across a piece of sheet music written by my father in the 1930s. Wow. That you didn't even know about. I never even knew he wrote sheet music. Unbelievable. Wow. Learned it. And I guess a college classmate of of his wrote some lyrics for it. So I learned the music and I don't fancy myself a singer, but I learned the lyrics. Uh And so after dinner, we sat down, I sat down at the piano and I played and sang that for them. Wow. And we had such a good time. I had such a good time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is stuff. Did I ever know I'd be doing this during my long career? Did I ever know I'd be doing this when I started piano lessons at 52? (laughs) <laughs> Probably not. Tell no, of course not. <laughs> but you know, you, you jump in and uh, first your toes get wet and pretty soon you're up to your waist and and then you're swimming laps, you know? There you go. That's so interesting. So that's a great idea. So it sounds like your book will really help boomers connect with things like that. Like it'll give them ideas of where to start and what to think about. And that's what some people need. Some people are totally lost. They don't know what they want for their tapas life. They don't really understand what they would enjoy and what they would connect with. So your book sounds like it would really be the best thing possible for them. It would be a roadmap. Follow this little roadmap and you'll find something valuable that you'll be able to live with. Absolutely. The uh, the chapter called Start Doing Something You Love and the chapter called Add Tapas and Stir, <laughs> you know, those are both, they're both about discovery and getting started. Great. That's excellent because that is the biggest first step that so many people don't know how to do. They're stuck. They're stuck. So, Well, I'll only disagree with you a little bit. Mm-hmm. They do know how to do it. But they don't. <laughs> and they're probably just holding themselves back a little bit. Probably, probably. But sometimes when there's a book that says, do this, do that, people will say, eh, let me give it a shot. It just gives you that impetus to get moving. So absolutely. Yeah. Some of us absolutely. need that. Yeah. Inertia is hard. It is hard. Absolutely. I totally get it. Yep. But you know, everybody had something they loved doing when they were a kid, when they were in their teens. When they were in college, everybody had something they loved doing. Everybody has friends and family members who do something they love. Mm -hmm. And everybody's read or seen a movie about somebody doing something that just resonated for them and tickled them inside. Yes, true. And all those things are opportunities. And, you know, it's just the journey of the thousand miles starts with the first step. That's right. Absolutely. (laughs) And nobody can move a person to take that first step except themselves. And they just have to decide to. If we imagine life after a long career as being two possible lines, and they both start in the same place, And one is a gradual downward curve to death. (laughs) That doesn't sound good. (laughs) And the other one is a straight line that continues straight across the horizon from the original starting point until right near death. And then it tanks. 
That's the line I want. <laughs> That's the line you want, right? That's the line I want. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and the tapas life is, is a good way to do it. Yeah. Because yeah. that gradual decline is just, it's a gradual reduction in the loss of quality of life. Yeah. And you don't even realize it until it goes down another step and another step. And then it's really hard to pull yourself out of that mess. It really is to get back. It really is hard. It's nasty. And a, and a key way to think about it is if you keep yourself fully alive, if you fill your life with meaningful things and enjoyable things mm-hmm. and things that use you and social connection and rebuilding with your spouse, and if you do things to eat healthy and do a little exercise, what you're really doing is you're delaying as long as possible until you cause your closest loved ones to either become your caregivers or to become the bereaved. Yeah, true. Now, don't you want to delay that, really? Absolutely. If you really love them, right. don't you really want to invest in delaying that day as long as possible? Absolutely. And for your own benefit, having the fullest life possible? hmm Yep. And it's a personal choice that each of us gets to make. It is. We've talked about that in a lot of my podcasts that we all have choices and we are making them, whether we're making them with our knowledge or we're just making them because we're not making a choice. Either way, it's a choice. It's a choice to do nothing or it's a choice to move ahead. So it's always a choice. So make it a good one, right? Right. And when we think we're not making a choice, as you say, we've actually chosen to do nothing. Absolutely. Yep. So it's and we've, choice. we've chosen to experience the difficult consequences of that. And we've chosen to inflict those difficult consequences when on our family. most loved ones. Right. Which is not pleasant. Nope. Not yeah. a good thing. Not a good thing. Uh, well, this has been wonderful. How can my boomers connect with you? There are two ways. One is, is you can go to tapaslife.com. That's T-A-P-A-S-L-I-F-E.com. And there you can learn a little bit more about me. You can learn a little bit more about the book. You can see what others have said about the book. After a bit, when I'm not so lazy, you'll find some links to podcasts about the book. Right. Like this one. <laughs> like this one. <laughs> right. And there's a link to Amazon where you can buy a book. Great. Or you can uh, jump straight in and go to Amazon and buy a book. Right. It's a, a super cheap paperback or it's an even cheaper Kindle. Take your choice. I was amazed when I did the Amazon book when I got my first copy. Wow, they did a beautiful job. The cover is such a delicious matte finish. And uh, my art designer created a vibrant cover. When you pick that book up, you know what you're in for. You're in for something good. And so uh, go to the website or, or, and get a book or just get a book and get started. 
That's such good advice. That's such good advice. So for those of you who might be walking or exercising that weren't able to jot down that, even though it was a really easy website, um, you can always go to kickassboomers.com, click on Andy's picture. The show notes will come up. The website will be there. Probably the Amazon link will be there as well if you want to just go buy the book. So if you've forgotten what he said, just go to kickassboomers, click on Andy's picture, and all that information will be there for you to share. So thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today, Andy. This was very enlightening, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. It gives them an idea of where to start, and they should buy the book because then you're going to have chapter after chapter to be able to help you. And like you said, for a couple of dollars, this can open doors for you and change your whole life. It really can. It truly can. And Terry, I I will leave you with a quote from Robert Browning's poem, Rabbi Ben-Ezra which says, come, grow old with me. The best is yet to be the last of life for which the first was made. That is wonderful. I love that quote. I've heard it many times, but I didn't know whose quote it was, but that is a fantastic quote and I believe it and I live it. And I hope my boomer nation will start living it too. I really do. Well, thank you. This has been great. Your book sounds wonderful. I think it's going to help a lot of boomers. I'm so I'm so happy that we got to talk about it today. And all of your information was just wonderful. So thank you for being my boomer guest. You're a kick-ass boomer now. <laughs> <laughs> a title I will wear with joy. There Thanks you for including go. me, Terry. <laughs> That's been great. Thank you so much, Andy. I really appreciate it. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old.